Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Today we're excited to talk with the scouting director of the Minnesota Twins, Sean Johnson. Sean, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, so the majority of our listeners in the volleyball world may not be as up on Twins baseball. Uh, I, was, I was looking uh, it up a little bit and saw, uh, you know, looked over the past like 10 years and how the last two seasons there was uh, maybe two of the best seasons you guys had had. I guess I was just curious kind of what you thought some of the factors were for the recent success. Well, I mean, I think it's a combination of um, we've had it all starts with really good players. As you know, that's kind of the key to coaching is having great players. And, and um, uh, our pitching's really improved. Um, our lineup's been really good the last couple of years. And uh, we've seen players that we brought in. And you, you see some optimization going on, even at the big league level, which doesn't always happen. But we've taken a few guys we've had on the roster years prior that kind of scuffled and, and kind of resurrected their careers. And, and um, so it's a combination of things, good free agent signs, uh, but really a solid team across the board. So it's been a fun team to watch the last couple of years. That's got to be exciting to be a part of. So I was talking to Travis Wyckoff, who connected us, and he was talking about your guys' culture. Uh, he was saying just a bunch of learners, very progressive. Um, yeah, I guess anything on that that you could kind of enlighten us on uh, what it's like from a culture standpoint? Yeah, so I'll go back a bit. Like uh, This would be my 20th draft with the Twins. Um, and in the 2000s, when I started, we were kind of the blueprint organization and, and one of them in the league. And, um, you know, with technology and the evolution of analytics and um, all these other things that came into the game, we kind of turned into dinosaurs fairly quick. It happened pretty, pretty briskly. So, um, but, you know, we had new leadership um, that came in, in in the summer of 2016. And those guys kind of reinvigorated the way we look at things and, and go about things. And um, so we've fully embraced analytics, um, information, data, trying new things. And so it's, it's, it's kind of fast forwarded into a, a really forward thinking group who's not afraid to make mistakes or try new things or try to find the next thing that will get us over the hump. And, and uh, so it's been a lot of fun to, to be a part, part of that group and, and uh, part of the organization, period. It's awesome. Really cool. Well, today our topic is on leadership. And I guess to start, can you just uh, tell us how you view leadership? Yeah, I mean, it's such a uh, so many ways to look at it. I think when I boil it down to a couple of things that stand out when I think about leadership um, it is clarity is probably number one and, and, and trust. Um, you, you've got to be able to give people a vision of where we're going, where we're trying to go. Um, and make it something that they can understand and digest. And, and you know, empowerment, I, I think about it all the time. Uh, we, you know, culture is such a huge word too. And I think that's really your environment. When people think about your organization um, or your team, um, what's the first couple of things they think of? So we want to do things the right way. Um, we want to treat our people extremely well. Um, my style of leadership, I'm very much a servant leader. Um, I care deeply about my people, uh, the people in my life. Uh, so I, I, and I think our, I get by in that way. That's the way I try to approach it is, you know, we have a 27 person staff and several other, you know, a couple other dozen support staff, but, um, you know, I think it's important to me that those people know that 
you know, I, if I can get them to be the best they can be at what they're doing, our team and our drafts will be good uh, over the long haul. So I invest a lot of time in our people, make sure they're growing and, and stimulating them when they need it and moving the bus along when we need to move the bus. And, and um, that's really the way I go about it. I, I try to keep myself in the background as much as I can, but I know that someone has to lead the, lead the group and they're expecting me to say things at certain times and put out certain emails and schedule Zoom calls now or whatever um, to keep things going and keep the energy going. Um, so that takes a lot of effort when you're really that deeply involved with people. But um, I've always had a, uh, uh, I've been on fire for people my whole life. And, and so I'm just lucky I'm in a position where I can, you know, actually lead people and try to, you know, get them down the path they want to go to, to, to help their careers out. And do you see any, uh, any dangers in that in such a competitive field, being the servant leader, kind of being in the background? Cause it seems, uh, it takes a lot of confidence to kind of step back when maybe you're competing for jobs. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think when, you know, when I started scouting, I thought of the scouting directors as they had this magical eye for talent where they could go to a game and see something that no one else could. Um, but I don't think that's really the case. And I don't think in today's environment, um, you need a good team to have, it's not just your first round pick. It's, it's that eighth rounder that turns out to be a pretty good player on your big league team or that 12th rounder that makes the 40 man roster. Um, having deep drafts is important and you can't do it without great area scouts who are, who are into their jobs and doing the extra work that they can do. There's, there's very few margins in scouting. It's highly competitive, as you mentioned. Um, but we think one way to approach it is um, caring about our people, being a great team, trusting each other and our opinions and, um, you know, pushing people to, to keep growing and keep moving. Um, we think over the long haul, you know, we'll have consistent drafts and, and stay steady, which is kind of the, kind of the main thing. You, you want Mike Trout in every draft, but that you're not always able to get into a guy like Mike Trout and, and he's not available when you pick. Um, and sometimes you just miss on a guy you think's Mike Trout. So you got to take your shots. You got to, you know, be aggressive when you need to, but um, by and large, we, our guys know if we trust each other and we do a good job of communicating at a high level, uh, we should have pretty good results every year. In the volleyball world, they all want Billy Allen. So he's, he's kind of yeah, like the Mike Trout thing. equivalent. Yeah. It's like, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so you do lead and kind of oversee a number of scouts um, and you mentioned kind of aligning with your vision. What do you guys, how do you handle it? If there is disagreement or you guys don't see eye to eye, how do you kind of handle that? Yeah. Um, so I think um, in the scouting world, you, you really want to embrace uh, disagreement, dis, uh, disagreements and differences of opinion. Um, if, if we send 10 scouts to go see the same player, we all have the same thing. I'm almost a little more worried when, unless someone's a little higher, and a little lower, because you need those opinions <clears throat> um, to kind of you want to find the middle spot. And so uh, the difference of opinion are great. Um, as long as you frame it that they're welcome, then I think we do a good job of doing that. Hey, we don't all want to see the same things. We don't tell our guys to scout the exact same way. They all have different backgrounds. Some guys play in the big leagues. Some guys uh, didn't play college baseball. So um, we have different backgrounds. And, and, you know, we really believe in having a diversity of backgrounds really helps us find a middle ground on a player. And then with that diversity of backgrounds, I guess, how do you come to a decision when you maybe get so many different perspectives, you know, see through everybody's eyes, but still make the right choice? Yeah. So, I mean, there's two kind of two parts of scouting. It's, it's all the evaluation you do all year long. And then it's that five to 10 day window before the draft. And those, those draft meetings are everything. 
And, you know, so my job, the way I look at it is I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to everybody's opinion. I want to make sure that Billy, John, you're in the scouting, you're in the room with us, that your opinion gets heard and is respected. And then at the end of the day, someone has to make a decision and it's not, you may like it, Billy, you may like the pick and John, you may disagree, but we really try to find a consensus where all the things align, whether it's from the scouting opinion and then the analytics that we layer in um, and just weighing everything we, we can together. Each draft is its separate entity. Uh, there's, we basically look at each draft individually and say out of this group of players, which one's the best option when it's our turn to pick. And that's, it's a pretty simple approach, but that's how most teams do it. So you mentioned the, the power of listening, and that, that makes sense. I guess I'm wondering, you're talking about how important the analytics have been, and when you're in a situation with maybe someone who's more traditional or more old school thinking, but we know these analytics help us make better decisions. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you navigate those situations as a leader? Yeah, so, I mean, it can get a little tricky sometimes trying to merge the two things, but uh, certainly we've come, this will be our fifth draft with, kind of both sides of the analytics and the scouting opinions coming together. And we really got into a good spot and it, it didn't happen the first year or two. There's some pushback from both sides and some things they didn't understand. And, uh, but I think now our group understands that, um, you know, our, our scouting opinions drive our draft board. And then, you know, we have, we have, I think we counted up the other day, we have 451 years of scouting experience on our staff. And so we're, those are experts in what they do. Now that comes with bias and a lot of other things that kind of can get you off track with your, with your draft list, your draft order. So the analytics basically keep you on track. They kind of keep you from getting out of bounds. Um, they don't drive our conversations. Um, our scouts do that. Our scouts opinions do, but you can always kind of find in every round that we pick uh, there's players that kind of have that marriage between a strong scouting opinion and a strong analytical profile. And that's kind of where we try to get the conversation to go and, and steer it that way. And, and we've talked it through, we've looked at everything and sometimes the, the numbers add up, the analytics line up, sometimes they don't. And when they don't, we have conversations, but we talk it through. And um, I think there's a good respect for each side. I wouldn't even call them sides anymore. It's just part of what we do, but um, you know, change is hard for people and that's really hard. Um, when you've done something for so long the same way, we've had to break people out of old habits and old ways of thinking. So that's really one of my jobs is to stimulate that conversation of what about if we tried this and, and see where that goes. So it's not quite like the money ball where you're Billy Bean pointing at Jonah Hill, just saying, uh, listen, listen to him. <laughs> it's, it sounds a little more inclusive. Yes, it's much more so. Yeah, yeah, no question. Yeah, even though that's a great scene, it's uh, yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. It's very dramatic. It's not exactly how things go, but a lot of that stuff is true. Yeah. So, do you think leadership is a skill that can be developed? And if so, how, how do you develop it? Yeah, I certainly think it it can be developed, um, enhanced, improved. Um, I certainly think that I've come a long way since I've been in this director chair for going on five years. Uh, thinking back to my first year and, and John, I'm sure you can think about your first year coaching and, and where you're at now, just the things that you wish you wouldn't have done or man, that didn't make any sense, but at the time it did. So um, I think if you're constantly looking, I think self-reflection um, is very important to have feel for who you are and, and how you're going about it. It doesn't match up with, with perception um, is important. So being able to look back in the rearview mirror at what you've done 
and uh, you know, constant. And as your point, developing it, I think you've got to be mindful of it. It has to be something that you wake up thinking about at least on occasion, and and making sure that you're looking at things a different way um, if you need to, and if not, keep doing what you're doing. But keeping a pulse on that, I think, is everything. How important is the role of mentors? Do you have people like kind of models in mind as you develop your leadership? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of our group because we're so spread out. A lot of it's individual stuff, but we'll have some some group sessions where we just talk about leadership and how we're leading our people. And and um, so when I think of that, I think about empowerment, which I think is another huge thing. A part of leadership is people want to feel like their work matters above all else, whether you're working at Target or you're working at, for the twins or, or wherever. Um, you want to feel like your work makes a difference and that um, all the hard work you do and, and scouting is very difficult. It's very um, time consuming and there's some long days at the park and travels tough and TSA pat downs, the whole thing. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but um, we want to make sure our people are growing and, and moving forward. And, and so leadership is important, um, at least in our department, for sure. And what do you do to challenge yourself to make sure that you continue to grow as a leader? You know, I think I just, I, I feel like I, I, it's important to be a life learner and to not feel like I'm ever in a spot where I need to be. Um, and I, I'm not sure really where that comes from, but that's just been my mindset. I think it's probably the people that have been in my path along the way. Um, but I just try to challenge myself, um, luckily, just on an, inter- an internal level um, to find new things. And, and I'm not a great reader. I, I like to read, but I really got into podcasts like your guys's and a lot of other ones um, because I can just listen and take it in um, and really just say, does that apply to me? Does that something I could improve? And you kind of just grab and steal from people as you go. I think that's important. Um, as long as you don't get away from being who your, your authentic self is. Um, but I think you have to be mindful of it and sure you could be developed. And as far as like you said, getting away from your yourself, um, that servant leader, is that a quality that you have kind of innately that's your personality or that's something you've tried to uh, grow? No, I, I think that's that's just who I am. Um, as long as I can remember, I've loved being around people. Um, you know, I, I played with Travis Wyckoff at Wichita State. He was an All-American there. He was a great player. I was a guy who was in the bench a lot. You know, but I love being in there because I was talking to guys between at bats and I was a catcher. So I, I knew everything about our pitching and our pitching staff and who they were. And I loved that stuff. I, I thought I was going to be a coach, uh, you know, in the college level or, or elsewhere um, coming out of college. But so luckily I'm in a position where I can still kind of play that coach role. But a lot of like I said, it's a lot of it's just investing in people and and uh, pouring in other people <clears throat> and. And, and that is one of the pitfalls, obviously, of the servant leader is you can, you know, not take care of yourself and you can you can uh, not prioritize yourself enough sometimes. So I have to keep that in, in balance um, quite a bit. Nice. And uh, do you have any advice for some of the coaches listening who might be taking on a leadership role for the first time? Yeah, I mean, I think if you've got a head coaching position, then someone's noticed what you've done and they're probably going to expect you to be the person they hired. So I would start with being yourself and, and back to that authentic piece where you've got to know with what, you know, if you try to be something other than, and sometimes you're coming, you're following a, a really great coach um, or someone that's been in that position before you, which, you know, I've, I've, I'm taking it. I have a position where 
you know, uh, Terry Ryan was our scouting director once upon a time, who's executive of the year and a bunch of hall of fame, guys like Mike Radcliffe, um, who's a legendary scout. Um, you know, I'm following their footsteps. So I, there's part of me, there's that pull to try to be like them and do things the way they did them. And I think people sniff that out pretty quick. So I think sticking to with who you are and playing to your strengths, um, people will, you need buy-in, uh, I think in your first year. And the only way to get that is respect and you've got to earn that and not coming off as I think uh, having a big ego is is problematic. Um, I think being staying humble and knowing that you're going to make mistakes and people can live with that as long as you're giving a great effort and being yourself. You'd mentioned uh, a couple of times making mistakes. I'm, I'm curious, what are some of the mistakes, especially I guess early on or even now that you've, you've made as a leader? Yeah. Um, I think I kind of hit on it a little bit where I, as a natural people pleaser, you can, you can want people to like you. Uh, I think that's somewhat important to people like that, right? Yeah. I want everyone to be happy all the time. And then when they're not, or things go south or there's an issue, um, I would be too overwhelmed by it. Um, I would let it get to me and bother me too much, even if most of the group's doing fine. And as you, when you're at a, in charge of a bunch of people, um, there's always going to be something going on. There's rarely that's a week where there's everything's fine. The water's calm. There's always a storm brewing somewhere. And so I think you have to just, I think I've gotten better at being aggressive at just nipping those things in the bud and addressing them right away. Um, I think the one thing that probably scares people off from leadership the most is having tough conversations because they're just tough, right? And they just don't really ever get easier. But I think truth telling is important, being direct with people. I think about the best leaders I've been around. They always told the truth. They didn't try to sugarcoat things. They weren't harsh, right? But they came directly at you. And regardless of how the conversation goes, you can live with it. Yeah, it's really cool. And tough conversations are hard. When you mentioned coming into maybe a program and kind of finding a way to get respect, when you first started and you know followed some some big names, what were some ways you got respect from staff and players and everybody? Uh, I, I think I individually would tell people that, you know, look, I'm going to partner with you on this. It's not my, this is obviously I've got to make a decision in the draft room, but I want to partner with you in this. We're going to do this together. I think people know that it's not my show. Um, I, like I said, that's, I'm able to kind of just blend in and be another scout and be another set of eyes but also knowing that I've got to step up and lead at certain times. And, and, you know, it's a big scouting calendar. There's some quiet times and some busy times. So right now we're entering that spring where we're at games every, almost every day across the country. So I need to really communicate. I really need to rev it up and, and be direct and give people guidance. Um, and then when the draft's over, it's back to watching the next group of players for the next year's draft and, just kind of hanging out with the guys and, and still like making sure everyone's in a good spot. But um, so my energy level goes up and down, um, you know, as far as leading. Um, but just, I, I think I've finally found my stride and a good rhythm with that, but that takes time. Yeah. And I guess how has leadership changed in this era of zoom when maybe it's harder to connect? Um, what have you found to be effective? Yeah. Well, I, in a sense, like since we're remote, I, Zoom has really helped us engage more often. Um, and part of it was we had to because we, you know, we got shut down in March. We still had a draft in June. So preparing for a virtual draft was a whole nother, you know, obstacle to overcome. But um, 
you know, we found it it's nice to be able to see people prior to zoom. We were, we did, we get on a conference call and people might be driving in the car and whatever. And, and so it's really helped us connect. I can, you know, certain, or we have a few scouts I might see in person seven days out of the year and the rest of the time I'm on the phone with them. So now I can connect on zoom and, and see that guy's face. And, and it's a little bit, it's really helped us a lot. I think we've battled that zoom fatigue. Um, we were zooming a lot trying to prepare for the draft, you know, calls all day with players and coaches and agents. And so it, it, you can really wear yourself out on it. So I think you have to be strategic with how often you zoom and how often you connect don't burn people out you don't want people dreading the next zoom so um keep it to a minimum i think is a good good advice and and when people need a break make sure you give it to them yeah no that's great advice um you'd mentioned there's always a storm uh and it seems like covid's been a, a storm that is has uh, hasn't quite passed yet uh, I guess I'm wondering kind of what, uh, I guess, how have you adapted your leadership and what have some been some of the storms that have come up because of COVID that maybe you hadn't um, kind of handled before? Hmm. It's a great question. Um, it, we just really had to, I mean, I guess it started at the beginning of the pandemic where, you know, it felt like the, the world was ending for a second. And then we tried to just make sure people felt still felt connected and focused on the draft. So we were lucky we were able to, learn from the NFL draft, which was in April. So we picked a lot of brains from people in the NFL that we were able to tap into and see what went right and went wrong for them. Cause they had a lot of headaches. And I think we were able to, to make adjustments and put some things in from a technology standpoint that made our draft run pretty smooth, but that was like the main thing from last year. So, you know, now it's just reiter The only thing now is we're just trying to make sure our guys stay safe. And, and that's been priority number one. That was part one with Sean Johnson. Sean will be back next time to give us some of his scouting tips for talent identification. That's next week on Coach Your Brains Out.